This would be like the infinitely greater counterpart to the Old Testament prophets who would preface what they say with, thus says the Lord. This would be the Lord himself saying, thus I say. They were astonished at his teaching. So this word that's translated astonished. Mark is going out of his way here to supply to us an extremely forceful word, an extremely graphic word to describe to us the reaction of the people to Jesus's teaching. The word here is is a word that the root of the word literally comes from the word to strike. And so the word literally means to be so struck with astounding awe that you lose control of your mental faculties. That's literally what the word means. So it's not, astonished doesn't quite get us there. In fact, the same word a little bit later in chapter five of Mark is gonna be translated overcome with amazement. That gets a little bit closer. But the word that Mark is, it almost, it really borders upon terror. It, It almost is communicating this idea of being not only astonished, but terrorized by what you've come to an understanding of, that that what you have now been given this enlightenment, this understanding of is so astounding, so astonishing, that it literally moves you to lose control of your faculties. And so Mark is trying to communicate to us this idea of the crowd. I can picture them in my mind right now. I can picture every jaw just dropping open. And the people just looking at one another in awe and saying, we've never heard anything like this. They weren't just surprised. They weren't just pleased. They didn't just admire Jesus's teaching. They were awestruck by Jesus's teaching. That's the idea that Mark is trying to communicate here. So the question for us to ask is, well, what does that mean that they were so awestruck what does it mean that they that, that Mark wants us to think of, of people with jaws dropping open and, and, and literally almost just losing control of your mental faculties because you're so overcome with what you what you're hearing? Does Mark intend for us to see Jesus' teaching as so astonishing in the manner that he teaches or in the substance of what he's teaching? Because you know that word teaching could mean either. If you say that you are astonished at someone's teaching then you could mean that you are astonished in the manner of teaching. Their methodology of teaching is so different or so unusual or so effective that the way that they communicate, the word pictures that they draw, the illustrations that they use, the the inflections of their voice, all those things come together in such an astonishingly effective way that you could say, I'm astonished at his teaching. But that English word also could mean that you're astonished not at the method of teaching, but the substance, the content of the teaching, that the things that Jesus is communicating are so intense, so real, so radical, so different that you're astonished at the substance of what he has taught. So which would it be? The English word could mean both. And you know what? The Greek word is just like the English here. It could also mean both. It could also mean the manner of Jesus' teaching. And it could mean the substance of Jesus' teaching. So I think the safest thing 
is to assume that Mark used that word. He could have used others. The safest thing to, to assume is that Mark used that word to intentionally communicate to us, well, it's both. That not only is it the things that Jesus is saying that are so life-changing, that are so groundbreaking, that are so radical, that are so attention-grabbing, but also the way in which Jesus is teaching these truths is so captivating that the people are just awestruck by what Jesus is teaching. So this reaction that Mark wants us to see here is a very, very clear and very moving reaction. We're going to talk about that in just a minute, but first let's just look at the contrast because this is a passage of contrasts. We're going to see in just, uh, well, next week, we're going to see this contrast between the one whom the demons are going to recognize and he's going to say, you're the Holy One of Israel. And meanwhile, we're told that he's the unclean spirit. So there's that contrast between the Holy One and the unclean or the evil spirit. But here's another contrast. And the contrast here is between the authority of Jesus and the authority of the scribes. So take a look again at verse 22. And they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So our English standard inserts the word one there. It's probably not the only translation that does that, but, but it, it really doesn't belong because there's, there's nothing in the Greek that's, that that's translating it supplied. And I think that it almost gives a sense here when he says he, he teaches as one who had authority. It almost to me gives a sense of Jesus having authority among others as one who had authority. So Jesus has authority and others have. It almost sort of hints at that. So it, it doesn't belong there. It doesn't need to be there. Literally, Mark just says he teaches as authority. And so the contrast here is between the authority of Jesus as he teaches and the authority of the scribes, which they are accustomed to sitting under the authority of the scribal teaching. So what we should be careful to see here is that the scribes did not teach without authority. The scribes were not people who had no authority to teach, nor were they people who had no no authority over the ones that they taught. So what was a scribe? The word hints to us of someone who just maybe copies the scripture. Scribe, you know, Maybe just someone who can write and read and and copies this. But that was not at all what a scribe was. A scribe would have been comparable in our day to something like a university PhD professor who was tenured because the scribes were untouchable in society. You could not bring charges against them. They were the religious leaders outside of Jerusalem. There was no one above them. Now, certainly in Jerusalem, of course, there's the high priests and all that. But outside of Jerusalem, the scribes were top dog on the religious ladder. They were highly educated. They were, again, something tantamount to a tenured university professor sort of thing. They were very well schooled, very well educated in the scriptures. And they would, in fact, they, they, they assumed the, the name rabbi. They weren't technically rabbis but they were called rabbis. So the scribes would be the ones who would teach in the synagogue on the Sabbaths, and they taught with a certain kind of authority, but the authority with which they taught was an authority that was a vested authority or an external authority. So here's what the the teaching of the scribes kind of went like. 
The scribes based their teaching on the authority of two things, and those two things were tradition and the writings and teachings of other scribes. That was the, the entire system of the authority of the scribal teaching, was the, the authority of tradition and the authority of other rabbis or other scribes. And so their teaching would kind of go something like this, is they'd read from the scrolls, They'd roll up the scroll and then they'd sit down and they'd begin commenting on what they read. And their comments would go something to the effect of Rabbi so-and-so, he says that this is what this text is about. But Rabbi so-and-so over here, he added to that and thought, well, it wasn't only that, but it was this. But then this other rabbi, here's what he, he sort of disagreed. But here's what our tradition says. That's kind of the gist of their teaching. How do we know that? We know that because that's exactly what the scriptures tell us. Take a look at your notes at Mark chapter 7. In Mark chapter 7, we're going to get a real mouthful, so to speak, of the scribes' teaching by way of Jesus' rebuke of their teaching. Here's what Jesus says. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, you have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition." For Moses said, honor your father and mother. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down. So here's the gist of what Jesus just said. Jesus just said that you are so wrapped up in your traditions and the teachings of other rabbis and other scribes that you actually take those and use those to overthrow the clear main central teaching of the scripture itself. Jesus' example is, you know what? The scriptures were pretty plain when they said, honor your father and your mother. But you've taken the traditions of men and you've taken the teachings of other rabbis and you've twisted those to say, well, here's what, what, what we can say we're really supposed to do, which is actually the opposite of what Moses said. So the scribes, would get so intense, so focused upon the minutia of what the scriptures said that they would completely lose sight of the point, of the meaning of the, of the text. Remember, as Jesus says to them, you know what? You can strain a net and swallow a camel. Or he says to them, you know, you, you tithe your spices you tithe your, your mint and your cumin. But you have neglected the weightier matters of the law, which is to say, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So you see, that's the gist of Jesus' attack against them, is to say, you know the Scriptures, and you teach the Scriptures to the tiniest minutia of what they say. In so doing, you twist and pervert their clear meaning and so this is what the people would come and hear. Every Sabbath, they would come, they would sing, they'd pray, and then they'd hear the scriptures read, and then they'd hear this scribe just go on and on about tithing your spices, about well, how you're supposed to measure out your pepper, and what sort of tithe you're doing with your cumin, and, and all, all these different things. And Jesus is saying, you've missed the whole thing. And furthermore, you've based that upon the authority that is Number one, the authority of your tradition. And number two, the authority of what you've heard and read other scribes say and write. And so that is just kind of a snapshot 
of their type of authority. But we're given this contrast here, verse 20, I'm sorry, verse 22. They were astonished for he taught them as one who had authority or literally as authority and not as the scribes. So you see the contrast there. The scribes were not devoid of authority, but their authority was of, a, of an utterly different nature than Jesus' authority. Jesus teaches with an authority that's separate, that's different, that's distinct from theirs. So if the gospel of Mark is about anything, it's about the authority of Jesus Christ over every created thing. If, 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 God, if Mark's gospel is not about that, it's not about anything. Because that is the clearest assertion that Mark's going to make through the entirety of his gospel is the absolute authority of Jesus Christ over every created thing. So just take a look at some of the ways that Mark tells us that Jesus holds authority over all things. He's going to tell us that he holds, Jesus holds authority over the Sabbath. When Jesus says that the, that the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath or he holds authority over the forgiveness of sins. When Jesus declares, here's how you can know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins on earth. Or he has authority, obviously, in, the, in this very passage, authority over the demonic, over unclean spirits. He has authority over nature as he speaks to storms. He has authority over the law. In that passage in which Jesus' disciples are criticized and rebuked for eating without ritually watching, washing their hands, without this, this ceremonial washing of hands. And Jesus says, you know, it's not what goes in your stomach that defiles you. What defiles you is what comes out, comes out of your mouth. And then Mark goes on to comment, this parenthetical comment, to say, by so doing, he declared all foods clean. In other words, he declares that he's Lord of the law. He's Lord of the dietary laws, of the sacrificial laws, of the ceremonial laws. He's also Lord of the temple as he cleanses the temple. And these are just some examples. Mark wants to show us the authority of Jesus. And so the entire ministry of Jesus begins on this note. This is a dual-sounded dual note, both of them to proclaim the authority of Jesus, the authority in his teaching, as we're going to see next week, the authority that he holds over the demonic. So as he says that he, he is authority or one who has authority, this word, this translated authority, is the word exousia. And it's a very interesting word, worth our time to think about for just a moment, this word exousia. It, like oftentimes we see in the Greek, it's, just, it's a word put together with a prefix, and we put them together and you come up with a new word. And so the prefix is the prefix ek. It just means out or out of. And then the root word is the word ousia. That is the word for the verb to be. So it's found here in a present participle form, which means literally the verb to be in a present participle is being. So literally, authority is out of being. Out of his being. Or out of his substance. Out of his essence. That's literally what the Greek word for authority means is out of his being. Jesus teaches out of his being, out of his substance, out of his essence is how Jesus teaches. Jesus' teaching is, is not lightweight. Jesus' teaching is not flittery and, and unsubstantial. Jesus' teaching is substantial. It's out of his substance, out of his essence. So this would be like the infinitely greater counterpart 
to the Old Testament prophets who would preface what they say with these words, thus says the Lord. This would be the infinitely greater Lord himself saying, thus I say. This is why we we see so often in Jesus' teaching, think of, for example, the Sermon on the Mount. What do we see in the Sermon on the Mount over and over? You have heard it said, but I say. You've heard it said, but I say. You see, he's teaching out of his very essence, out of his very substance is where his authority lies. So, What does this mean that Jesus is teaching out of his substance or out of his authority? I think it means at least three things. It means, first of all, that he's teaching out of his essence or his being as the God-man. His essence is the essence of the God and the man together. The God-man. And as the God-man He knows the hearts of men. He knows the thoughts of men. So can you imagine a teacher in the synagogue reading from the scrolls and now saying, let me expand upon what these scrolls said. And the one who's doing that expanding or that commenting upon what the scrolls have said, that very one knows your heart. Can you imagine what that sort of teaching would be like. You know, I can comment and expand upon the scriptures. And sometimes I can perhaps say some things that might resonate with you. And the only reason I can do that is not because I know your heart, but it's because I know mine. And in many ways, my heart and your heart are alike, but they're not identical. And so I can sort of make some correlations between my heart and yours. That's a long way from knowing your heart. Can you imagine someone with the scriptures in their hand knowing everything about you, knowing every event of your life, knowing every thought that you've ever thought, knowing everything that will happen to you this afternoon and next year, and taking the scriptures and saying, let me tell you what these scriptures mean for you. But not only does Jesus know the hearts of those to whom he teaches, he also knows the mind of God because he is, his essence is God. Now, there's a sense in which we can know the mind of God Because the mind of God is given to us in the scriptures and the spirit indwells us and the spirit teaches us of the mind of God. But once again, that that is that falls infinitely short. Knowing something about the mind of God is a far cry from knowing the mind of God. And to take the scriptures in hand and looking out at those who are sitting there assembled to hear the teaching and knowing everything about their heart and knowing everything about the mind of God and saying to them, this is what the scriptures are saying to you. Can you see how the jaws would drop open? 
So that's one of the ways in which Jesus, I believe, is teaching from the authority of his essence, of his being another, is that he's teaching as the victorious champion of salvation. The victorious champion of salvation who would himself successfully endure not just temptation, but all that the forces of evil have to throw against him. The only one ever in the history of humanity to ever successfully resist the kingdom of evil. And he resisted it to the fullest. He experienced everything the kingdom of evil had to throw against him. 40 days without food, experiencing all of Satan's power along with all of his demonic forces. And he prevailed. And now he stands before, or he sits before them to say, here's what the scriptures are saying to you. You know, there's, there's a real sense that in which to teach the scriptures effectively, you have to have taken the scriptures and put them into effect in your life. You have to have put them in place and experienced their working. I mean, you, you can't teach the scriptures that you've never applied to your life. And so there's a real sense in which that taking the scriptures and applying them to a life equips a person to teach from the scriptures. Now here's the champion, the captain of our salvation, the only man ever to successfully resist the kingdom of evil and all it had. And he sits before them to say, these are how the scriptures work in your life. This is what it means to put the scriptures into place. Jesus, of course, we well know the story of his temptation of how he defeated those temptations with the word of God. And now that same captain of our salvation sits before them to say, this is the word that I defeated the kingdom of evil with. This is what this word means to you. And then thirdly, I think to teach from the essence of his substance, to teach from his being means that he's teaching as the anointed Messiah, as the christened Messiah on whose shoulders will rest the salvation of all of God's people. So he will become their sin and he will pay the penalty of their sin on the cross. But now he sits before them to say, this is the sin that you need to put away. This is the sin that you need to do battle against. This is the sin that will destroy you if you don't master it. And that's coming from the one who doesn't know their sin in theory, who doesn't know their sin by correlation. He knows their sin because he will be it. You see why Mark wants to say to them, They weren't just impressed with Jesus. They were speechless. No one's ever spoken like this. No one's ever taken the scriptures and peeled back our hearts and just poured them right directly onto our souls like this. 